Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. We're we'll looking at the first five verses this week in chapter 3. And before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help as we open his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we open your word, we admit that we need help with it, not only understanding the words therein, but even understanding the fact that we have before us the very words of our Creator that are meant for our building up, that are meant for our being completed in you. So many times, Lord, we want to add our own things to that as if we could somehow improve upon you. And so, Lord, that's why we need your word, because we want to improve upon something that is perfect. And so, Lord, we pray that you would convict us of that sin, that you would show us your glorious perfection, that you would show us your truth, that you would show us your patience and love, too, as we open your word, as we come to it. Lord, we pray you teach us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as we come to this text, there's this word in there that's bewitched. Which, uh, when I was growing up, there was a show. It wasn't really on when I was growing up. It was on before I was uh, even a baby. But there was a TV show called Bewitched, and I watched it enough times as uh, a little boy growing up watching reruns. And uh, basically, the show, the show Bewitched is a really strange show that I don't really think would fly very much today. But it's this this uh, this woman who is uh, married to a man, and you know it's a standard relationship. Except uh, they entered into this relationship kind of on a false pretense because the man Darren didn't realize that he was marrying a witch when they got married. And uh, and then he found out after they got married, and then he said, uh, well, just please don't use your magic very much because I want our life to be normal. Instead, she uses it all the time on him. She bewitches him, basically forcing him to do certain things that he wouldn't overly want to do which is basically kind of the plot and the driving story behind the entire series and her constant attempts to keep the witch world a secret place as opposed to, you know, in the non-witching world from knowing such things exist. Really, again, strange premise for a show, but this is a very common idea that one person could bewitch another person through words or actions essentially converting the way that they think. That's exactly what we're dealing with in our text today. As we read Paul asking the question to the Galatian churches, who has bewitched you? As we continue to study this book, we dig deeper into this issue of salvation by grace through faith alone and how we like to muddy things that are very clear in the Scripture brings up some difficult questions for us concerning our salvation and also concerning something called our sanctification. That the idea that believers are growing 
in godliness, are growing in holiness throughout our lives, through the work of the Spirit, through the work of the Father, through the work of the Son. All of that is happening. Well, is it, this, is it their work? Is it our work? Well, there's a balance there. We're going to talk about that as we get into the text. We're going to answer that question and some others. We'll break this text into two main parts. First, we have the bewitching lie, and then secondly, the comforting truth. And so, let's look together at the text. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just as a little bit of context, kind of where we were last week. Remember last week the main idea was how we are now in Christ. We are crucified with Christ. We no longer live. It is Christ who lives in us. We read that very thing said in Galatians 2.20. It's a commonly quoted verse. And so what does that mean? Well, essentially, the life of sin, the old self, was crucified. And the new self, our new life in Christ, is raised with him. Romans 6, Paul puts it, raised to walk in newness of life. So Paul's argument against the Judaizers was essentially, how can we be crucified with Christ and still attempting to put on the old self? Like destroying a building only to build it and destroy it again and again and again. It doesn't make any sense. That context is important because Paul's tone changes dramatically in chapter 3, if you didn't notice. From more of a didactic tone, which is he's, he's very famous for, this kind of teaching, very doctrinally sound kind of teaching, to more of this kind of parental sort of thing. Instead of listen to the sound doctrine, it's more of an assertive, what's wrong with you people? So we need both in our lives. We do. We need a teacher and we need a parent. The facts of doctrine and the firm hand of a life-changing rebuke. And we get both in our text today. The first point, the bewitching lie. Look again at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, very strong word, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. A few words to point out here. The word foolish here is a word uh, that doesn't, it's not just a lack of intelligence, all right? It's, it's, it's a lack of obedience as well. It's not ignorance. It's not, a, it's not, not knowing something. It's, uh, how, it's more of the, you know, the word that we would use here is, is the word stupid, which is a really strong word, right? A really strong word. 
But it's it's not lacking knowledge. It's having the knowledge, but then and knowing the consequences are bad, but still choosing to do that thing anyway. That's just dumb. And that's what he's saying. You foolish Galatians. And it was such that, it was so surprising that Paul used the second word, bewitched. And the word here can mean lots of things. Alright? Think of the word charmed. The word charmed in our own language nowadays, we think of it as more of a a positive kind of thing. So, so think of that word in a more negative kind of connotation. Imagine praising someone with the intent of misleading them. Praising someone only to kind of build them up so that you can mislead them or lie to them. A great example of bewitching we find in the third chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. It's been a few Sundays since I mentioned Genesis 3, so it was time. Where the serpent comes in and bewitches Eve. It's exactly what's going on here. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's calling them foolish because they have obviously been charmed by false teaching. Because it isn't at all what he taught them, and he shows, he reminds them of that. He says, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before their eyes. It doesn't mean that they were there to witness it. That's not what's going on here. He's saying that he preached that message to them. He, he portrayed Christ as, he's in his preaching as crucified, as them being crucified in Christ. He portrayed them as justified through the work of Christ. And that's the problem. Though they were given an excellent teacher, having the Apostle Paul himself being there to preach to them, they were being led astray. And so to get to the bottom of this, Paul asked a couple more questions, verses 2 and 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? These, these questions are really important for us as well, to diagnose our own hearts. And many times I've asked similar questions of Christians who are struggling with one thing or another. Typically, most struggles in our lives that aren't happening to us, but are happening inside of us, most struggles in that way typically involve our struggle with the truth of the gospel. They are rhetorical questions. Both the reader and the writer know the answers to these questions. The point of asking them is getting them to acknowledge a known standard that they both agree on. The behavior, so that the behavior can be examined, their behavior can be examined according to a mutual standard. So let's consider them in turn. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or through hearing of faith? Basically this, did you earn the Spirit or was it given to you? Well, we know the answer to this, right? This is Christianity 101, that faith is a gift of God so that no one can boast, right? And they knew that too. Everyone in this whole conversation knew this, that the Spirit comes on the believer because of the work of Christ in their lives. So if that's true, and again, we could spend the next years just preaching on texts that confirm that truth. If that's true, why would then anyone believe differently? If we believe differently, it's because someone or something has bewitched us or converted us to a new way. It's why Paul's next question takes the shape that it does. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
So what Paul is asking here is if you believe that your salvation is a gift, then why are you trying to earn it? If salvation was a perfect gift, it's not just a gift, it's perfect. There's no way to improve upon it at all. If, if it's a perfect gift, why are you then adding to it in order to make it better? It's not, it's not possible to make it better, but that's exactly what you're trying to do. If we have begun by the Spirit of God in us with a new life, why are we now trying to make the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, why are we trying to make the Spirit of God better by adding our old sin to it? It makes no sense at all. You don't have to look far into the practices of the churches in Paul's day or our own to find these issues. For Paul, it was the Judaizers, of course, and we've gone over this and we're going to continue to go over it, attempting to make salvation better by adding their Jewish traditions to it, by adding circumcision, by adding all the things that they would add to it. For us today, well, there are some Christians that are attempting to add Jewish traditions to their faith in order to make them better. But it's usually other things. And I'll name a few examples of this. from One from my own life, one that's just pretty common, particularly in this part of the country. Imagine telling a Christian that they're saved, but, but if they really want to, quote, get the Holy Spirit, they have to behave a certain way. And that certain way is through unintelligible speech and dancing around a lot and yelling. Getting the Holy Spirit. That if they do those things, then, then they have the Spirit. And if you don't, well, maybe one day you can get the Spirit too and be good like the rest of us. In college, I was part of a group that really emphasized spiritual disciplines like daily devotions, like uh, scripture memory, Great things that Christians should do. Nothing wrong with daily devotions. Nothing wrong with scripture memory. Nothing wrong with anything like that at all. Yeah, but this particular group, it was a little different because I was given a checklist every Sunday. And that checklist had boxes. And one of them was daily devotion. When I did my devotion, I checked the box. I was given scripture each week to memorize. And we would go around the room at our weekly meeting where we, where we showed our checklists. And we would recite our... Bible verse to each other. I would always try to put myself at the end of the circle so that by the end I could have it memorized. We were expected to be at Wednesday morning 6 a.m. prayer because, quote, prayer should be a sacrifice. There was no dating. Well, there wasn't supposed to be any hour dating, so group members had to sneak around in order to date each other. We were bewitched. We thought... That though we were saved by grace through faith alone, we now had to upkeep a certain standard in order to maintain this version of salvation. In order to be accepted by the group, right? Because what's more important in, in our human condition than being accepted by the society that we feel like we should, should be a part of? If you wanted to be a part of the group, you had to toe the line. Or you had to fake it really well. Which is really what most end up doing. To some extent or another, one of my friends ended up leaving the group. And when I asked about him, I asked, why, why isn't so-and-so coming back around? I, I was told that he chose a mediocre lifestyle. No, he chose freedom over slavery. 
Steve Brown in his book, A Scandalous Freedom, fantastic book, you should read it. I do have a copy, but it's, it's a nice copy. It's signed by Steve Brown. You're welcome to, to read it, but just bring it back. He says this, he says, When the requirement for acceptance in any particular group is to think certain thoughts, to act in certain ways, to fit certain molds, and we don't think or act that way or fit the mold, we tend to fake it. Allow me, in, allow me to let you in on a secret. Nobody fits the mold. And most of us wear masks to cause others to think that we do. The greatest tragedy of the church is that in many cases the most dishonest hour of the week is the hour that we spend at church. I mean, think of Peter as we dealt with his, his falling out with Paul a couple of weeks ago. Think of Peter pretending so that he could please those men that came from James. I think of myself pretending to please a bunch of other pretenders. Why? So that after having begun by the Spirit, I could now be perfected by my own additions. That's why. When we buy into this lie, it's as if someone cast a spell on us, church. And if we're not careful, we might even think that the answer to countering that spell that's been put on us is just to work harder and do better. Okay, I'll try harder next time. I'll try better. I'll, I'll, I'll fix something. But we know that's not the answer. Because what can I then add? What am I, I'm trying to add something even then. The answer is always the same. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. Believe it and cast out the lie. And that brings us to the next point, the comforting truth. Look with me at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So here's a question that has some ambiguity to it, because up to this point we really haven't heard much about the Galatian church's suffering. But historically we know that they did. We know that they suffered like all the churches in that area of the world suffered. Yet the word that, that could be here could just simply mean experiences in general. Just the experience that they have, particularly pointing to their conversion and their walk with the Lord since that point. Either way, the point is the same. Do we experience this Christian walk in vain? If we live on our own merit... We live according to our own merit, thinking that we're adding to our salvation by living a certain way, by meeting a certain standard, then yes, that's exactly what we do. If I get up every morning and have to get back to the ground of maintaining my salvation, then my life with Jesus really resembles any other secular life that I might choose. I'm constantly trying to earn approval so that I can get to the next level, right? Some imaginary level that is there, that if I can just do these things, perhaps I can be this level of super-Christian, right? I just need to do a series of whatever so that I can get stamped and then go to the next series of whatever. Yet the Christian life isn't like that at all. If it were, we would have experienced all of that stuff in vain. And I think verse 5 really seals this for us. So let's look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so 
by works of the law or by hearing with faith. In order to get a well-rounded picture of this, this idea of working miracles and this idea of the Spirit coming among us, I want to go back to Peter's experience with the Gentiles. We read there a few weeks ago, but we didn't keep going. And so I want to keep going here. Uh, Mostly we dealt with Peter's heart in that as we looked at his falling out with Paul. But I want to look at the actual event. So turn with me to Acts chapter 10 again. Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to read uh, starting at verse 34 and reading through to the end of the chapter. Peter's going to have, he has a small sermon here, and then there's going to be something that happens. I want you to notice this. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. You saw that in Psalm 103 today. Peter's borrowing from that. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Very simple gospel presentation from Peter. Notice what happens. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Then the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling the, the Stolen God, then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Peter was preaching just a normal sermon. Peter was a great, a great preacher, mind you. But there was some there was some special work going on here. He was just talking about Jesus. He offered the gospel like any gospel preacher should do. And there was a Gentile audience also. And the Spirit of God chose to act and swooped in and fell upon the people there. And everyone there received this tremendous blessing. I can't imagine being there. And it was all because Peter said some magic words and the people had just enough faith and every head was bowed and all the eyes were closed. That's what it was. No. None of that. The Holy Spirit worked because it pleased him to do so. You know, think about 
some of the things that are going on here, and we can immediately draw to mind things that are going on in our own life. Think about Paul's success on the mission field. Why did he have so much success in places like this area called Galatia? Why did he have so much success as he traveled westward and went into Rome and all these other areas? Is it because Paul was particularly eloquent? We, we read other places that he wasn't that eloquent, right? It's because God is good. Think about our own church as we look, look out here, brothers and sisters. Why has the Lord grown this church over the last seven years? Is it because you have such a charismatic and friendly pastor? You guys know better than that. No. It's because God is good. It's because He is faithful to do the things that He says He's going to do. Church, if we had waited, if we had waited to the point that we had enough faith, right? Imagine, imagine having to wait until we had enough faith that God would act. We'd be like college kids trying to scrape together enough money to buy a pizza. It's just pitiful. Like, can I help you in any way? Those seven cents aren't really helping that much. We've all heard it our whole lives. There's this whole group, actually, that makes a mint off this kind of theology today. That if you just have enough faith, that you can be healthy. You can be wealthy like us. It's dangerous to the hearers, and it's just rank heresy. It brings no comfort. In fact, it does just the opposite. It bewitches the hearers to think that you can obtain the blessings of a Christian life just by doing some things rather than just by receiving the one who gave it all that we could have it all. Instead, what is the truth of the Scriptures? We've been saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. We have begun by the Spirit. We will ultimately be perfected by the Spirit. Jesus the Son, what is He called by the author of Hebrews? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. God the Father recreated us in Christ for good works that we might walk in them. Our sanctification, our being made holy, is a Trinitarian effort. Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together to bring us, who were once called children of wrath, to be more like the Son. And while we must always be working out our salvation, as we read in Philippians, or we must always be making our calling and election sure, as we read in Second Peter, these things are absolutely true. We do not work for our salvation. We don't do the electing. It's the work of God alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the work that He started. It's the work that He is going to finish. And as soon as we start believing that we can do anything to add to the righteousness of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been bewitched. By some preacher, some snake oil salesman, or by ourselves. We can easily do this to ourselves as well. Church, take comfort in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was given as a ransom for many, that we might be justified in the eyes of the Father. He became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that, there is comfort. Stop trying to add to that. Stop faking it. 
Rest in Jesus Christ. Rest. If there's any unbelievers here today, you know as much about faking it as anyone because you know the truth of God, yet you continue to deny Him. And you know about a false gospel too because the world only ever preaches a false gospel. That's it. That if you act a certain way, then you'll finally be accepted and you'll finally be loved. And you know it's a lie. You do. Mickey, you can deny it, but you know you're never going to be truly accepted. You know that's never going to happen. Only with the righteousness of Christ can you be loved and accepted for all eternity by the one who made it all. Independent of what I think or anyone else thinks, he's the doer. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ today and be saved. Call out to him. Find rest for your souls. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, the question to you is the same one that Paul offered to the Galatian churches. Who has bewitched you? Cast aside the false gospel and see anew the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you, and you didn't do anything to earn it at all. Stop trying to earn it. Rest. And offer that rest to a lost world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are easily bewitched. And it doesn't even take a serpent in a garden. Sometimes it's just us sitting there thinking about things and we bewitch ourselves even. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us. That you would open your word. That you would change us with it. That we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds in your word. That we would not be so easily led astray. And that we would be ambassadors of this truth. That as we find rest, we would be able to offer that rest also to others who are desperately bewitched by a lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.